Well, welcome to Venture Church. My name is Vincent McMurtry, and if we have not gotten the chance to meet, I want you to know that we have the honor, I have the honor and the privilege of working here with Venture Church Online, helping our church reach our tentacles up and outward to reach the world abroad. And I'm so thankful to be the part, part of a church that doesn't have a heart, that doesn't have the identity of just Southern Mississippi, but a place that is willing to reach people in Seattle, Washington, a, a place that is willing to reach people all the way out in Oregon, all the way down to Cape Town, South Africa, up to Toronto, Canada, and everywhere in between. And I'm so thankful, so grateful to be a part of the Venture Church family, and I'm thankful that you call Venture Church Online home. If you've been with us the last couple of weeks, you know that we've been talking through what it means to understand our unique identity. The fact that God has created each and every one of us with intentionality. We've been talking about the fact that God has created you and I, that he's created every single one of us on purpose for a purpose. And if you can't take anything away from the last six weeks of this series, I want you to understand that truth. I want you to understand that God has created you and me for him and on purpose for a purpose. Now, I need you to know that that purpose doesn't always equal pleasure. Sometimes we're going to experience hardship. Sometimes we're going to go through pain. But I think the question that we have to ask ourselves, the tension that we have to wrestle with is, what do we do? How do we respond? Maybe you can recall a family member or maybe a family friend that exhibited an uncanny amount of faith in a place that wasn't so great. Maybe they gave in their time of need. Maybe someone who was upstanding in the face of accusation. Maybe someone who exhibited forgiveness in the wake of wrongdoing. I, I don't know, someone who somehow, despite their unruly adversity, seemed to continue to hold strong, to hold steadfast to what they know is true. Well, today we're going to be talking through the story of Joseph and how in every season of his life, from the pasture to the pit, to the palace, to the prison, and on to power, exhibited an unshakable and immovable faith. Now, before we get there, I think it's imperative to give you a little information, to give you a little background on who Joseph is. I need you to know that we're not talking about Joseph. We're not talking about Mary's Joseph, right? Not the father of Jesus. We're talking Old Testament Joseph, the son of Jacob, one of 12 to be exact. And I need you to know that the Bible tells us that Joseph is Jacob's favorite. He's his favorite son. And I also need you to know that his brothers don't take too kindly to that. They don't like that too much. Nevertheless, we can see from the very beginning of his story that Joseph is beloved. I think a better word we can use is chosen from the very beginning of his story. So I want to take some time and I want to dig into that story. I want to give you four different things, four ways that you can learn from Joseph's faithfulness. Four things that we can learn from his deep-rooted identity along the way. So if you've got your Bibles, we're going to be wading through the book of Genesis, and we want you to keep up. If you don't have your Bibles, just follow along on the screen. We'll be there together. We're going to start in chapter 37. It says, Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to him, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed to it. His brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he'd said. Then he had another dream, and he said, hey, brothers, listen, listen, I've had another dream. And this time, the sun, the moon, and 11 stars were bowing to me. Scripture tells us that Joseph has a dream, two to be exact. 
And in these dreams, he sees himself given some sort of supremacy, some sort of reign. he's, He's elevated in some shape, form, or fashion. And the Bible tells us that Joseph's brothers, they feel some type of way about it. Now, to be fair, I think we have to share that Joseph, I don't think we even know that he is privy to what these dreams mean in this moment. I don't even think he understands why he's sharing it with his brothers, but I think we do know that God has planted a seed, that God has given these dreams to Joseph. Even the Bible says that Jacob, Joseph's father, keeps these dreams in mind. The story goes on to say that Joseph's brothers, they misinterpret the dreams, and as a result, they hold some malice, they hold some contempt for him. And as a result, there's several different things, there's a multitude of things that happen to Joseph as a result of his brother's wrongdoing. For starters, they take him, they strip him of his coat, and they throw him in the bottom of a cistern. We'll call it a pit. After some thought, I guess they say, hey man, maybe what we've done is a little too savage. Maybe we shouldn't leave him for dead. So the story goes on to say they take him out of the pit and they sell him to a band of random merchants into slavery instead. And for only $400 in modern day money, which I think is a little bit more savage, but that's neither here nor there. Nevertheless, we see the magnified son now minimized to slave. And over the course of one chapter, we see Joseph go from the pasture to the pit and on to be a subject of Potiphar. We see him circumstances change, but we never see him complain. We never see him waver. We never see him change because he is confident in one thing. He is confident in his identity. And I think that's the first thing that we can learn from Joseph. Number one, be confident in your purpose. Be confident in your purpose. He knew that his identity was not in his position, not in where he found himself, not in that pit, but what God had placed in his heart. You see, he was only 17, working in a pasture with his brothers, when God gave him that dream, when he gave him that promise of something greater. And not a promise of what he was supposed to do, but of who he was supposed to be. And I think that's the first thing we've got to see, because, hey, your promise, your purpose, it's not God-given. It is God-given, sorry. It's not work-driven. It is God-given. That purpose that he's given you, it's not something that you can work for. It's not something that you have to do. That's something you have to accomplish. You can't achieve it. You have to receive it. Your purpose is God-given, not work-driven. And where do you find your purpose? I know you're probably saying, okay, Vincent, I feel that. That had a nice rhyme to it. I like the way that sounded. But, but where do I get my purpose? Where do I go for that? Well, I want to take you all the way back to 1994. The greatest movie of all time, the greatest Disney movie of all time, the story of another young king, the king of Pride Rock. That's right, you're with me, the Lion King. And I want to take you to one of the most pivotal scenes, if not the best scene in all of Disney history, the remember scene. Right? So if you're familiar with the movie, we see Simba, he's left paradise with Timon and Pumbaa, and he's on the way to the Pride Lands. He's trying to see, hey, what is my purpose? What is my identity? And he's trekking through the Pride Lands, and he runs into a mysterious baboon. And this dude is putting him through the ringer. I mean, he's slapping upside the head with this stick. He's getting, hitting him with all these random riddles. And Simba gets fed up. He's flustered. He says, hey, man, who, who are you? And I love Rafiki's response. He says, the question is, who are you? The question is, who are you? And from there, we see Simba. He continues down this path of inward reflection. And it culminates with this existential conversation with his past father. And he, and he goes out, and, and the thunder's clapping, the lightning is popping, the clouds are rolling in, and we see Mufasa emerge from the clouds, and he says, Simba, Simba, you have forgotten who you are, and so forgotten me. 
He says, you've forgotten who you are and so forgotten me, remember. And, and we see Simba, he cries out, he says, Father, Father, I, I can never forget about I can never forget who you are. And as the clouds retract, as the thunder rolls away, as the lightning begins to cease, we see Mufasa say, he says, remember, remember who you are. And it's not until after this conversation, it's not, it's not, it's, it's, it's until after this experience that we see Simba come to grips with the action that he needs to take. It's not until he's reminded of his identity that he sees the purpose, the action that he needs to take. You see, I've heard it said this way, identity fuels activity. Identity fuels activity. The who inspires the do. So wherever you are, remember who you are. Remember whose you are. And let what God has placed inside of you fuel what God has called you to do. And whatever pit you find yourself in today, I believe that you'll be able to rest in confidence. Because like Joseph, you will understand that God is with you. So from the pit... We find Joseph in chapter 39. He's elevated to the palace of Potiphar. Now, we don't know how long this season lasts for Joseph, but what we do know is that it's a good one. You see, Potiphar's found something special in Joseph. And it says here in chapter 39, it says, when his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of all of his household and entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. And with Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Hold up now. My boy Joseph didn't really glowed up on us. He didn't really come up in the world. My boy's going from defendant to attendant. He said, boss man, boss man, yeah, that's me. But no, all jokes aside, we see God's call over Joseph's life. It's coming to fruition before our very eyes. The Bible says time and time again, God was with him. So the tides have turned, the tables have turned. We see things begin to brighten up for Joseph. He's done the work set before him. And I think we can say that he's found himself in a pretty good spot. I think we could say like Jeff, hey, he's rolling. Hey, but like Jeff says, it's when you're rolling, chances are you're probably about to get rolled. Let's zoom back in on Joseph's season in Potiphar Palace. So like I said, he's the head man in charge. He's boss man. Potiphar can go and do and handle whatever it is that he needs to do because he's got a man at home that's got it under control, right? Well, the Bible says, now Joseph was well-built and handsome. Amen. God bless you. I see, I see you, Joseph. He, he's great in stature. He is, he is blessed. He looks great. And after a while, his master's wife takes notice of him. Look, Mike Jones said, back then they didn't want me. Now I'm hot. They all own me. Touch your neighbor. Say, hey, back then they didn't want me. But now Joseph's master's wife has noticed him. She's taking notice of me. She says, hey, come to bed with me. But he refused. He said, with me in charge, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he's entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except for you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. Let's pause right there. You see, it's the boldness for me. 
I, I don't know about you, but can you say you have that same sort of resolve? Do you have that same sort of, of, of fortitude? No, really, put yourself in Joseph's shoes. Let's, let's do role reversal here. You've gone from nothing to something. You've gone from slave to now you're the man in charge. The house is yours. The field is yours. The servants, they're yours. You can anything and everything you want is at your baking call. Are you going to take advantage of that situation or will you remain, or are you going to remain faithful to what God has called you to? Let's see. The saga continues. Verse 11, it says, one day he went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants were inside. She caught him by the cloak. Here comes Potiphar's wife again. She caught him by the cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. Let's set this example of infidelity aside. And I want to ask you a personal question. What is your temptation? No, be real with yourself because we all have temptation. It looks different for everybody. What is your temptation? You see, Peter was tempted with money for a miracle. Eve was tempted with knowledge in the garden. Jesus himself was tempted with sustenance in the desert. You tempted with that strawberry cake that you know you're not supposed to be eating because you're on a diet. What is your temptation? And the better question is, how do you respond in the face of that temptation? You see, Joseph, he shows us a ruthless elimination of temptation. A ruthless elimination of temptation. He sets it aside. He exercises not only a self-control that I admire, but a courageousness that I can't say many of us have. And, and I think that's the second thing that we can peel from Joseph. Number two, be courageous in what is right. Be courageous in what is right. And, and can I be honest with you? Let's be straight up here. It, it, it's not always easy. It, 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 it's, it's not rewarded. And I can't even say it's popular in today's society. I actually can tell you it's definitely not popular in today's society. But I can tell you this. It's never the wrong idea to do the right thing. C.S. Lewis says it this way, integrity is doing the right thing even when no one is watching. Doing the right thing even when no one is watching because the truth of the matter is you can't control your circumstances, but you can control how you respond. You can't control external temptation, but you can control internal desire because whether you're in the pit or the palace, the pressure is still the same. The enemy is still out to steal, kill, and destroy. And I can tell you this, when the enemy sees that they can't stop what God has for you, they do everything in their power to see what they can strip, what they can snatch from you. And I think we see Potiphar's wife is an example of that. She doesn't like the way Joseph responds in so much as she gets him sent away. She lies on him and gets him sent away to prison. We see, it says, when his master heard of the story his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me, he burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But watch this, watch this. While Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. There's that phrase again. The Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden, like Potiphar, put Joseph in charge of all of those held in prison. And he was made responsible for all that was done there. Now, now let me summarize a bit, because there's a lot that's about to happen over a short period of time. Over the next 10 years, we see Joseph spend some time in prison, all for something that he doesn't even do. But while Joseph's there, God uses him to interpret a number of dreams for a special pair of prisoners with special connections to Pharaoh. 
Now, we see in the story that Joseph correctly, he interprets these dreams, and as a result of this divine encounter, it leads to Joseph being elevated to an an even greater sense of service in the land of Egypt. He serves in an even greater capacity as a result of this encounter. Let's skip ahead to chapter 41. It says, Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, Today I am reminded of my shortcomings. Pharaoh was once angry with his servants. He imprisoned me and the chief cupbaker in the house of the captain of the guard. Each of us had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. Now a young Hebrew was there. He was there with us. He was a servant of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams, and he interpreted them for us, giving each man the interpretation of his dream. And things turned out exactly as he interpreted them to us. I was restored to my position, and the other man was impaled. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. And when he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, and no one can interpret it. But I've heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. I love Joseph's response here. He says, I, I can't do it. But God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. The story goes on that Joseph, he, he correctly interprets these dreams. God gives him the interpretation of Pharaoh's dream. And he doesn't only give him the interpretation, but he sets him up with the plan to tell him, hey, look, there's going to be seven years of flourish and seven years of famish. And like I said, hey, he, he doesn't just give him a plan. He doesn't just give him the dream. He gives him a plan to say, hey, here's how we can provide sustenance to the land of Egypt and the surrounding areas throughout this drought. And Pharaoh responds. He says, then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. Only with respect to the throne will Pharaoh be greater than Joseph. So I look at this story, and I ask myself, this this dude who started out as, you know, farmhand, and then he goes from farmhand to slave, he goes from slave to assistant, he goes from assistant to prisoner, and even as a prisoner, God has elevated this dude to a position of power. And I say, how? What have you done? How, how are you qualified? How do I get qualified? Well, and I love how Timmy told us once, he said, God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. And you see, there's no prerequisite. There's no accolade. There's no criteria that he has to meet. There, there, God's not concerned with anything that you've done great or anything that you've done bad. You see, Joseph Joseph's not some sort of rabbi. The Bible doesn't even tell us he went to the cemetery, like Jeff says. He's not some sort of special rabbi. The only common denominator between the entire story of Joseph, from the pasture all the way to power, is that he's available. He's made himself available to be used by God. That's the next thing we see in Joseph's life. Be available to be used by God. Because I got another truth for you here. God can do more with your availability than you could ever do with any ability that you have, any sort of degree you have. I don't don't care how rich you are, how far you've made it in life. God can do more with you saying, hey, I'm available. Use me, Lord, than anything you could ever do on your own. I I like how Kyle put it a couple of weeks ago. He said, hey, what's your garden? Are are you you a student on campus? Let him use you. Are you a stay-at-home mom? Let him use you. Maybe you're the coach of the t-ball team. Let him use you. Nurse at the children's clinic. 
God can use you. CEO, CFO, C3PO, I don't care what you are. God can use you if you make yourself available. And in every season of Joseph's life, we see him being used by God, from being shipped off to a slave to being elevated to authority over all of Egypt. God takes what Joseph's brothers initially mean for evil and turn it not only for his, but everyone's eventual good. So we see the famine spread throughout the land, and, and, and over the course of time, we see some familiar faces return to the story. It goes with me to chapter 42. It says, when Jacob, that's Joseph's father, learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you just keep looking at each other? You sound like my mama. Why are you just standing there? He continued, I've heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so that we may live and not die. Then 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain for Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, that's Joseph's younger brother, with the others because he was afraid of the harm that might come to him. So Israel's sons were among those who went to buy grain, for there was a famine in the land of Canaan as well. Now peep this. Now, Joseph was the governor of the land, the person who sold grain to all of its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down with, to him with their faces to the ground. They bowed down to him. Hold up, wait a minute. Not Joseph's dreams coming to fruition, amen? He, not the bowing brothers, I mean the bowing sheaves of wheat that we see in the very first chapter. Not God doing exactly what he said he was gonna do. No, truth, if he said it, he will do it. If he said it, he will do it. Psalm 119 says, the entirety of your word and truth is truth, and every one of your righteous judgments endures forever. Isaiah 55 says, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. What God said will come to pass. And we're starting to see Joseph's dreams take shape here. But it isn't over just yet. Like I said in the beginning, what is your response? Well, that's the tension there. How is he going to respond? Let's look at chapter 45. It says, Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come, come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed. Do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there's been famine in the land. And for the next five, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, Lord of his entire household and ruler of all of Egypt. So how does Joseph respond? How does Joseph respond after coming face to face with the same brothers that cut him off, the same brothers that sold him into slavery, the same brothers who have cost him literally the last 22 years of his life? I'll tell you how he responds. He extends grace. He comes ready with grace. And that's the last thing that we see from Joseph's faithfulness. We need to be ready with grace. I don't know about you, but I can think of several other feelings, several other words that describe how I would have felt in that moment. How about anger? How about bitterness? How about resentment, rage even? But I love that Joseph does the right thing. Look, I think Joseph, he knows all along that God has not brought him from the pasture to a place of power 
to repay his brothers with the same pettiness that got them here in the first place. He exercises grace. And I love that he didn't just give them what their bellies desired. He gave them what their hearts deserved. That's grace. That's grace. Just like Christ did for you and me. Just like Christ does for us day after day after day. Grace upon grace upon grace. Grace upon grace upon grace. Look, don't, don't miss this. Joseph's first dream, the sheaves. It's of earthly matters, food, wheat, sustenance. And you see, Joseph, not, nor, nor does his brothers understand this at that very young age. But what we do see is God planted that seed. You see, if it wasn't for that first dream, Joseph would have never been blessed with the prequel of the dream that Pharaoh would later give him many, many years down the road. And the second dream, where we see him risen above the sun and the moon and the stars, it's of heavenly matters. It's a story, it's the picture of Joseph accepting the mantle of divine will and recognizing that whether he's in the pasture, in the pit, in the prison, in the palace, or even in power, that he has a sacred life purpose, that he has a God-given identity that no man can thwart or take away, that we have a God-given identity that no man can take away. And we see Joseph's faith lived well beyond his physical life, well beyond his physical life. In so much as he's mentioned much later in the Bible, way on in the New Testament in Hebrews, with, uh, with, with regard to the, the Israelites moving out and coming into the promised land. You see, Joseph knows all along that the final destination was not the palace, but it was the promised land for his people. His eyes were never set on power. It was set on what God had placed in him. And all along, we see Joseph confident in his purpose courageous in what is right, available to be used by God, and ready with grace. In, in every season of his life, he clings to the promise of God, and as a result, like we said, we see it constantly, God was with him. God was with him. So now, I, I, I want to challenge you. I want to ask you, to, to look at these concepts. We've looked through Joseph's story and we see in, in, in a plethora, a multitude of different seasons from the highest high to the lowest low and back that God was with him and that he maintained this faithfulness through these different, through these different ways that we see. And I, and I wanna ask you, when you look at this, when you look at these four things, ask yourself, hey, what resonates with me? Maybe there's one of these that you see and that you look at and you say, hey, I, I think I'm pretty good at that. I find, myself, I find myself extending grace pretty easily. You know, people have done me wrong before, things have gone bad, but I'm pretty confident that I respond the right way. Or maybe you're saying, man, look, I'm just in a season right now where God's using me and I'm rolling. He, he, he's just, he, he puts me here and he does this. He puts me there and I do that. But I could guarantee you that there's something on this list that you see and you say, hey, I really could mature in that. I really think I could do a better job of being courageous in what is right. And so, so I want you not only to reflect on that, but to respond. Drop it, drop it in the chat. Take it to the cross. Respond in the comments, whatever that looks like for you, because I know that there is a response for you. Hey, maybe you hear this today and you think, man, I could really grow in grace. I've been done wrong by this world. And, and when I feel like the, the world's coming at me from every angle and I feel like the rug's been snatched out from, from under me, I respond with anger. I harbor resentment in my heart because you never know who's coming for you. 
But after hearing this today, I think I'm ready to exercise grace. Maybe you hear this today and you say, hey, I don't always default to what's right. I'd say more times than not, I let my pride, I let my greed, I let my lust get the best of me. But I'm ready today to choose what's right. I'm ready to choose integrity. Or maybe you listen to this today and for the first time, Ever. Maybe you can't quite put your finger on it, but for the first time ever, you feel an overwhelming sense of peace, an overwhelming sense of God's purpose for your life. And I want you to know, hey, wherever you find yourself in that spectrum, wherever you will plot yourself on that graph, you have an identity. You have uh, that, that gospel identity that you can rest in. And God has created you on purpose for a purpose. You see, I think the thing that we we all can land on today, the thing that we can take away is that your purpose is not found in what man puts on you. Your purpose is found in what God has placed in you. And like Joseph, in every season of life, whether you find yourself in the pasture, in the pit, in the palace, in the prison, or in a place of power, that purpose, that sense of peace that you have, that sense of identity, is not in what you've done, not in what's been given to you, but what God has placed in you. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word, and we thank you for the way that you use these stories to show us who we are, to to, to give us opportunities to place ourselves in these shoes and to say, hey, Lord, what are you saying to me through this? How do I respond? What's my next step? And Lord, as we come together today, as we hear this word from you, as, as we reflect on that, we thank you. And we thank you for the way that you're moving in our lives. And we thank you for the next steps that are going to be taken. Because we know and we understand that we have a gospel identity. An identity that is greater than any job that we find ourselves in. An identity that is greater than any position that any man has given us. An identity that is, that is more purposeful than any place we may find ourselves, whether we're, whether we're on the mountaintop or the valley below that we know from beginning to end, through and through, that our purpose is found in you. So Lord, we thank you for that. And we thank you for everything that you've done, everything that you're doing, and especially the things that you are going to do. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the Venture Church Podcast. To find a campus near you, check out venturechurch.org.